This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at Le Banks, St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Well, good morning. Nice to see you all. I remember um, there may be times in your life when you've um, had that moment when you said to God, yes, God, I'll do anything for you. I'll go anywhere, whatever. I'll do anything for you, God. And I've had those moments, but I've always had two clauses with God. I've always said, I'll do anything, but don't ever make me sing in public. If you've ever sat next to me, you'll appreciate that. Okay, Debbie will appreciate that. Okay, Don't ever make me sing in public. And God, don't ever call me to do the words for Song Pro. Okay, can I just say... <laughs> It's half nine, Marilyn's been sat there tapping in all the songs to Song Pro because we didn't have any. And I just want to say thank you because this computer is, is a little bit of a nightmare. And um, anybody who sits in that booth over there, hats off to you. Um, I wouldn't want to be doing it. So, yes, God, do, let me do anything but not those two things. Okay. Um, if you've got your Bibles, if you turn to um, Acts for me, chapter 1. Today is the day of Pentecost. Okay, the day of Pentecost. One of the most significant days in the Christian calendar, the day of Pentecost, the day when the Spirit of God descended on the followers that were gathered there. And um, it's such a significant day for us. We are a Pentecostal church. Okay, so we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today to build up the church. Apparently, research has it, that there are approximately 170 different denominations that identify themselves as Pentecostal. 170? I don't know there's 170, but we are one of them. Okay, so the day of Pentecost is such an important, significant Day for us. So let's read this passage together. I'm reading from um, Acts chapter 1, and then I'm going to jump a little bit forward to Acts chapter 2. Okay, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Father God, we pray that you would just open up your word to us today. That as we remember this day of Pentecost, that it would come alive again to us. That it would be significant for us today. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds. Let us encounter you through your word this morning. In your mighty name. Amen. What a difference a day makes. 24 little hours. Diana Washington sang that, am I right? Anybody, any fans in the place? Mm, No, okay. What a difference a day makes. Well, it's a good song, what a difference a day makes. And it's so true. A day makes a lot of difference. It can be for, for good or for bad. But this day, the day of Pentecost, made a significant difference for the church. And I really want us to focus just on the verses uh, 4 to 8 in chapter 1 today. I want us to ask this question. What kind of church could the early church have become if it hadn't been for the day of Pentecost? What might they have looked like as a church? And I want to ask ourselves that same question. What kind of Christian or what kind of church could we become if we don't embrace Pentecost? If we don't embrace and encounter God's spirit in our lives? And then the second question, well, what kind of church did the early church become after Pentecost and receiving of the spirit? And what kind of church, what kind of Christian can we continually be if we continually look to the Holy Spirit to guide us? So I'm going to begin with this question. What could the early church have become? What could have happened if they hadn't waited for the Spirit, if they hadn't embraced Pentecost? Yay, it's working. Okay, so Matthew 26. Well, the church could have become a church that was cheap. Let's have a look at this verse. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay, when they're capturing Jesus. Am I leading a rebellion that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So the disciples are in the garden with Jesus. They come to arrest Jesus. The disciples run away. But the disciples have given up so much for Jesus. And the more they followed Jesus and the more they hung around with Jesus, the more they realized that the price was getting higher to pay. The cost was getting more. And they failed, the disciples, on many occasions. We know that. This is one of them when they deserted Jesus. But in the end, the disciples are able to say to Jesus, where you go, we will go. You see, the great thing about Christianity is this. Our salvation costs us nothing at all. Salvation is free. Because it's only by God's grace that we are saved. So nothing we can do can get us into heaven and and get us saved. It's all about God's grace and mercy. And that is completely free. And that's amazing. And we can enter into that and be assured of our eternity. It says in Ephesians, doesn't it? It's not through ourselves, but it's a gift of God and his grace so that we won't boast. But the thing that is a price to pay and the cost is our continual sanctification, that following of Christ, that the more we follow, the more we encounter Jesus, the more we want to go on with Jesus and become like him, it gets a higher price to pay. We were talking about this in house group this week, just that the cost... Um, of being a disciple of Jesus. It can cost us all sorts of things. Time, finance, you know, efforts, our reputation, all sorts of things. The cost can get higher if we're following 
Christ. And the church, the early church, could have become cheap in the sense that they weren't prepared to pay the cost. They weren't prepared to pay the price if it hadn't been for the Spirit enabling them. I'm not sure if you're aware yesterday, but yesterday was a significant day in the Catholic Church because Oscar Romero was uh, beatified. It was a beatification of the uh, Archbishop, the Catholic Archbishop. And I don't know if you know anything about him. I didn't know much, but... um, he spoke out about injustice, and he was actually assassinated. He was taking mass in the church, uh, in a service, and he was, he was shot, he was killed doing that service. And the day before, he'd spoken out about um, the US backing the military um, and repressing civilians. So he knew what it was to pay the price to be a follower of Christ. He knew what it was to nail his colours to the mast, as it were, and it cost him his life. The early church could have been cheap, where they said, I'm not going to sacrifice, I'm not prepared to sacrifice, it's too tough, I'm not prepared to come to church, I'm not prepared to pray. But they didn't, because they waited for the Spirit, and the Spirit enabled them to pay the price. And there is a danger, I suppose, that we could become like that, not willing to pay the price, because it's difficult, it's hard, it costs us something to be a follower of Jesus. But we can with the help of the Spirit. We can if we embrace Pentecost and be empowered by the very presence of God. Not relying on our own strength, but God's strength. What could have happened? The early church could have been absent of the word of God. It says in Luke 24, this is when the women have come back from the tomb. I think men... I don't know. Maybe they're just not quick to believe us women. I don't know. But this is what happened. When they came back from the tomb, the women told all these things to the eleven, to Jesus' disciples and to all the others, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Sometimes we do talk nonsense. I know that. But sometimes when you're reading the Bible, I don't know if you're like me, but you think, how, disciples, did you not understand what was going on? How did you misunderstand the situation? Jesus had said all along that he was going to die and be raised again three days later, but they still didn't get it, did they? They still didn't understand. They still hadn't applied the word to the situation, and they thought the women were talking nonsense. And the early church could have become a church that was absent of applying God's word right into their lives and their very situations. In Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to use the Bible just, just as a bit of a torch when we've run out of light, when we've exhausted all other options to turn to God's word, to dip into it. Sometimes I approach the Bible a little bit like that. I approach the Bible like I approach Guernsey Sea. Okay? Now, I know some of you are hardcore Guerns, all right? And you will go in the sea all times of the year, whether it's winter or summer. I struggle to get in the sea, even in the summer. Okay? And my approach to, to the Guernsey Sea is to dip my toes in, maybe put my feet in, go up to my knees, perhaps, and usually that's where I stop. All right? Now, I know I'm, I, I don't qualify, do I, as a true Guern? not good enough. Sometimes I go in and immerse myself. More often than not, I think, oh, I've gone to my knees. That's, that's refreshing enough. I'll go back up the beach. Sometimes I approach the Bible like that, and I just dip into it. And I don't really fully immerse myself in all of God's word and don't actually apply it to my situation. Use it a little bit like a quick torch rather than a continual guide in my life. And the early church 
could have been absent of God's word and not applying it to their situation. But then the Pentecost came, the Spirit came and enabled them. I don't know if you ever like me, but when you're looking at the Bible, sometimes I do this. Lord, I really need you to speak into my situation and my life right now. Okay? Got this crisis going on. What I'm going to do is a little bit of a random kind of like this, open, put like that, and see what I get. Does anyone else do that? Or is it just me? Nine times out of ten, I get some random verse. I did this the other day, and um, I got this. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. Now, I'm not sure if that was any relevance at all. I couldn't find any. But sometimes I do that, and it's, and it's stupid, because I've got a... I, you might as well. You've got one of those Bibles where you've got a list of titles, like fear, worry... Um, I don't know, loneliness, anxiety, whatever it is, stress. And then it gives you lots of key Bible verses for those situations. Do you think I can sometimes be bothered to find that book? Instead, I'm just randomly opening it, hoping that God will speak to me in some way. Just dipping into God's word. When actually God calls us to be, you know, Bible-believing, Bible-reading, to know this, to let it shape everything that we're about, to know it, to know it in its context, to know what it's saying to us, so that we're reading it and we can apply it straight to our lives. I think it's really something key when, I don't know, some of you might have been like this in Sunday school when you learnt memory verses. I'm really absent of that, but I know some of you guys just know memory verses like that from the Bible to apply to your life. That's so good. God calls us to be people of his word so that it shapes us and that it moulds us and so that we know it. Now, it's hard to do that in our own strength. It's hard to be disciplined to read God's word daily and to know it that well when there's so much other stuff going on around us. When you've got things like TV and family and all that pressure. So we need Pentecost. We need the spirit of God to make this alive to us. We need to daily encounter God's spirit the Holy Spirit present with us so that we don't become a church or Christian that is absent of God's word in our life, but to make it real to us. The early church could have become... Oh, sorry, I'm flying around. It could have become cheap. They could have become absent of God's word. They could have become all words, all talk and no doing. Peter asked this in John 13... Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really? And we know the story of Peter. Peter's a great character, but he promises, God, yeah, I'll follow you, I'll lay down my life for you. And then we see a little bit later on, there he is denying Christ, denying that he ever knew Christ. Jesus answered, will you really? And the early church could have become a church that promised God so much, but delivered little. They could have done if they hadn't had Pentecost. Many times we can promise God things and we can fail to keep them, can't we, at times? I know I've said this before, but there's that song we sing, um, I Surrender All. You know, I Surrender All. I really struggle with that song because sometimes I've sung it and then I've thought to myself, well, I'm not really surrendering my feelings. I'm not really surrendering my desires. I'm not really surrendering my finances. I'm not really surrendering this, that and the other. Not all my life. I tend to sort of sing, I will try to surrender all now when I'm singing it, because it's a better, better show of what I'm trying to do. God, I am trying. But um, sometimes we can make promises and not deliver. Um, 
I've got uh, a lot to be thankful for, um, a lot this church to be thankful for, because although I didn't, um, I didn't grow up in this church, you'll know that, okay, I wasn't born and raised here in Delancey, um, my roots are in Shiloh, sorry, I'm swearing our church, but actually we need to be careful because my parents have come today from Shiloh, so try to embrace them. I know it's difficult, you know, but it's okay. Um, anyway, I was brought up in Shiloh, but I did come to the youth group here, okay? So I did come to Young Vines Youth Group, um, to which I'm very grateful for. It really helped um, help me stay with, ch- with church and help, help graft me into um, Christianity, which was really good. But another thing that helped me with, I'm not going to say more importantly because it's not more important, but it did help me with my love life, Okay? And, um, of course, that's not more important than my spiritual life. But uh, if Paul... Paul's not here today, is he? Paul Gannon? No. If Paul Gannon was here, I would say, you know, he was the first one. He was the, the person, the leading young vines, that helped me to get my first ever boyfriend. Isn't that good? That Delancey helped with that, provide me with that. Um, so I remember saying to God, God, um, if you let me go out... I was 14 at the time. If you give me Shane his name is Shane, as my boyfriend, I promise that I will read the Bible every day. <laughs> Big promise. Well, I think God was testing me because he granted me Shane as my first boyfriend um, at 14. And um, to be honest, the Bible reading was not really daily after that. Actually, it was quite sporadic. It was even worse when we split up, so I think that was bad, bad times. But anyway, sometimes we do, don't we? We're quick to make promises to God because God, you know, oh, you know if, just, just answer me this and I'll do this for you. It's really hard to stick to our word in our own strength because in our own strength, we're not that great. We need Pentecost. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit in our life daily to help us stick to where we want to go, to stick to our word, to be a people of our, wor- our word. The earlier church could have been like this, but Pentecost changed things for them. The early church could have been controlled by fear. After uh, Jesus' crucifixion, we find the disciples gathered together. And it says this in John, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And this doesn't sound like a very exciting place to be. These are the, this is the first um, kind of gathering of the believers of Jesus, later to be called Christians, and they're locked away through fear. They're scared. They're frightened. And the early church could have been a church that allowed the fear of the Jews to dictate who they became and what they did. That could have happened. And sometimes I think we are in danger too of allowing things in our life, fear could be one of them, to control us and to stop us from really embracing everything that God has for us, really stopping us from opening the door or going through the door of opportunity. Maybe we're scared of what people will say or scared of um, failure or scared of things, whatever it might be, or you know, we've we failed at stuff, or there's things in our past, whatever it might be, and it holds us back and we're controlled by it. Sometimes we might not even realise it. We might not even know that that thing is controlling us. And the early church could have let that happen if they hadn't embraced the Spirit of God. The other week, I nearly crashed my car because... I was driving along to school, and I always listen to the radio when I drive, and so I always often catch the news. 
And this news headline just took me aback. Um, it said this, man sneezes out dart, stuck up nose for 44 years. Now, did anyone else see this news story? Yeah? Well, I didn't couldn't believe it. I was like, what on earth? Um, yeah, apparently, Steve Eston, 51, finally knows why he suffered from cases of the sniffles since he was seven. A man who regularly suffered a blocked nose sneezed out the cause, a toy dart stuck up his nostril for 44 years. So here's this guy who suffered from sniffles and headaches for 44 years, suddenly has a sneezing fit and out pops his dart. Now, I've got here, I should do... No. Maybe. Oh, yes, there he is. There's the man, okay? And it's the top of that rubber dart, like the top thing. Apparently, that has been stuck up his nose all this time, okay? And here he is, sneezes, and out pops the dart. Now, me being a bit intrigued by this story, went into a bit further research into what people swallow and gets, gets lodged in them. Um, and it's fascinating. If you've ever got a bit of spare time, okay, get on Google and, and research it. I found cats with knitting needles, dogs with rubber ducks inside them. You could see the x-ray. It was quite fascinating. Anyway, I won't go on any more about that. But this guy did not know that up his nose for 44 years was lodged a rubber dart until he sneezed it out. And it had impeded his life all that time. And so often we can have stuff in our life that is lodged there. We might not even know that it's causing us, you know, why we're fearful or whatever it might be. But things are stuck in us and lodged there. It's almost like we need to have a big sneeze. Not literally. But we almost need to just get these things out of our life, dislodge them so that we can embrace everything that God wants us to be and wants us to become. So much stuff can control us. And sometimes we don't even know it. We don't even aware of it. But Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit of God's presence in our life can help us to get rid of those things, to stop those things from controlling us. We need to connect to God. We need to find God and, help, and, and allow him to help us so that we are not controlled by anything but him. Also, the early church could have been defeated. In Acts 1, if we go back to our passage in verse 4, it says, Do not leave Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the place where the disciples were ready to leave. The disciples would have wanted to leave Jerusalem because it was dangerous. You know, they feared for their lives because they were followers of Jesus and people, the Jews, wanted to get at them. So not only was it scary and was it a place of fear, but also... It was a place that reminded them of their biggest failure. You know, they'd failed Jesus in Jerusalem. They'd deserted him. They'd abandoned him. They'd denied him. They didn't go to the cross with him. You know, so the disciples had a lot of failure and defeat in Jerusalem. But here in this passage, Jesus is saying, do not leave. Stay here. Stay in Jerusalem. They could have become a church that was defeated. And there are times when God doesn't want us to run away from our defeat, but might actually want us to stay in that place of defeat. Stay in that place so that he can turn it around for victory. He turned this situation around for the disciples. They were in Jerusalem. They could have felt defeated, but he turned it into a victory. I read in uh, Time magazine last week this headline, Florida man falls asleep whilst robbing a house. Okay? 
This woman, apparently, came down 7.20 in the morning. She comes down the stairs, walks into her living room, and a 29-year-old man is asleep on her sofa. He had started robbing the house and, for some reason, had fallen asleep. Now, that is bad. You know, you don't want to fall asleep when you're sinning, do you? You want to be caught. You know, here's this man stealing, which is a pretty big sin, okay? Um, And he just gets stuck in the middle of his failure, of his defeat. There he is, asleep on the sofa. This woman finds this man there. I don't know if you ever watch... You probably don't, because you're an intelligent bunch of people. And, you know, I'm sure you're watching educational news items most of the time. But I've heard rumour that there's a TV programme called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And... um, Apparently, I don't know, they have celebrities that sit in things like boxes of cockroaches or, you know, all sorts of different things. And they have these tasks to do and stars to collect. And then if it's all too much, they can shout out, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. We might feel like that sometimes in our Christian life. I'm a Christian. God, get me out of here. Just get me out of this situation, out of my defeat. And it could be that we're in a place of defeat because of failure, because of sin, because of something we've done. Or it may be nothing to do with that and it might be circumstantial. And it might be things hitting us and coming our way that are nothing to do with us, but we feel in a place of defeat. And it's like, God, just get me out of this. But maybe God is leaving us there and not taking us out, but wanting to do something. Wanting to create a victory in that place. You see, we read here that it was in Jerusalem that the disciples begin to witness, begin to do great things for God. So they are told to wait in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter that you've had lots of failure in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter that you've been defeated there. I'm going to do great things through you. You are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And so they waited for the outpouring of God's Spirit so they could be empowered. They could have been defeated, but they weren't. They could have been success-driven if it wasn't for Pentecost. I uh, also watch, <laughs> it's a bit of insight into my life, I also watch a programme called QI. I don't know if any of you watch QI. It's a little kind of quiz show, but not really a quiz show. It's a, it's a show with interesting facts, okay? Um, lots of different interesting facts. And they have what they call the QILs. Now, the QILs are the researchers on the show. They're the background people that find out all these little factoids. All right. And I follow QILs on Twitter, so every now and again a tweet will come up from a QIL. And uh, it said this the other day, this little fact. Children who get stuck with the middle seat on long car journeys are more likely to grow up to be rich and successful. Which was great news for me, okay? Because the youngest of three, I always got stuck in the middle of in the car, on long car journeys and my two elder sisters would take the side seats and I'd always get stuck in the middle I don't know if any of you share that problem but I would get stuck in the middle and I could never see any advantage whatsoever about being stuck in the middle because you know you had to have well in those days one of those little seat belts that cut you up in the middle you didn't have a nice one you had a little one to cut you up you had to put your legs apart because there's nowhere to stretch your legs out because there was a big thing in the middle there you couldn't lean either side because your siblings would hit you um, so it was like it was nothing good about sitting in the middle on a long car journey until I read this and thought oh right so I could grow up to be rich and successful it's it's great that's amazing you see I suppose we all kind of like want to be rich and successful well I do want to be rich and successful in some way the early church could have been success driven 
You see, look at this little verse here. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. But wait. Wait for the Spirit. Wait for my anointing. Wait for God to come. You see, they knew the Great Commission, the disciples. They knew that it was to go and make disciples for Jesus and to build his church. And they could have just been success-driven and gone out and done it without waiting for the empowerment of God's Spirit to come upon them. Been eager to just go for it. And sometimes we can be a little bit like that. I mean, I don't know how you define your purpose in life. It could be to be used by God, to provide for our family, to be promoted at work, to be happy, to have a bigger church, to win people for Christ. All fantastic, amazing things to do and have as our purpose. And sometimes they can become the bigger picture. They can become the big thing, sorry. And instead of waiting for God to release us into those things, The early church could have become so success-driven that they didn't wait for God, but they did wait. You see, the Bible always talks about finding that place of intimacy with God. It's not just about the big things, but it's about finding the secret place and waiting on God to allow God to minister into our lives so that we can then be used for him, that we don't just go and do things on our own and in our own strength, but actually allow God to guide us. In Matthew 6, it says, When you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. A people of the secret place, not just a people of, you know, big dreams and doing all this, but actually finding God in the intimate place to allow us to go and do that. And the early church were able to wait, wait for the spirit to come. I find it difficult these days to go into a room, close the door, be on my own and start praying because more often than not I I find myself snoozing a little bit or snoring and you know it's difficult isn't it I I tend to these days go out the front door close that behind me and go for a walk so that I'm in public where although I have fallen asleep in public less likely to um, on the beach or go for a walk to find that intimate place with God this secret place to wait for him to wait on him so that everything we do is God-driven, not just success-driven. The early church could also have become works-orientated. You see, it says in Acts 1-4, but wait for the gift my father promised. A gift's only a gift if it's received freely. If you have to do something, then it's not really a gift anymore. The gift was the outpouring of God's spirit on the church. That was the gift to them. And the early church, like I said, really, could have been motivated just, just, to, just to do works and works orientated without God's spirit with them. But they didn't. They waited for God's spirit. You see, we can do all things. We can dream big and we can have lots of things going on and we can pray and we can do all sorts of works. But fundamentally, only things happen when God allows that to happen and chooses to bless that which we are doing so that it's not about what we've done, but it's all about what he's done and giving glory back to God. The early church could have become these things. And if we're not careful, if we don't embrace daily God's spirit in our life, if we don't allow Pentecost to come to us and work in the anointing of God's spirit, then we can end up like this and I have to be honest and say so often I find myself with these seven things and then I think to myself oh you're being so silly you know you just get back to God 
Let God empower you again. Let his spirit take over again. Put God at the centre again so that I don't end up with these seven things. And what we see is that we see a church instead, the early church, once that day of Pentecost came, once they embraced the Holy Spirit, they became a church that had spirit presence. In a few days, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And we too can be a Christian. We too can be the church where we're so under the Holy Spirit that we're so sensitive to the Spirit. And being sensitive to the Spirit means that we are sensitive to one another, that people really matter, that we become really important to one another, that we have a unity together. Not a holding hands, cheesy feel, dance around the room, bind us together, Lord, unity. Although that can be lovely. Um, not that, but a real sense of we are on this journey together. We go to the cross together, that love conquers all together. A sensitivity to the spirit marks us out with a sensitivity for one another so that we resist bitterness, resist jealousy, resist arguments, where we care for one another. And this Holy Spirit marks us out as as holy, that we can defeat sin in our life when we bring the Holy Spirit in, that we can triumph over that, that we can speak to one another in prophecy, in tongues, to encourage one another. The early church also became a church that was Christ-focused when the day of Pentecost came. In a few days, you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Who's doing the baptising? Well, John the Baptist said, I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. When we are marked out by the Spirit of God, we become Christ-focused, that at the centre of all we do is about becoming like Jesus, following his example, deeper in our relationship with him, not some super spiritual, weird and wonderful, wacky type of Christian, quite the opposite. Because if we look at Jesus, the more I look at Jesus, the more I stand in awe and wonder of the amazing person that he was. Jesus was fully God, but fully human. And he was so radical in his time, so radical, so set apart, so different to what the normal was of that day. Everybody loved to be around Jesus. Jesus was fun to be around. You know, the only people that didn't like to be around Jesus were the super spiritual people. Everybody else loved to be around Jesus and hang out with Jesus. He was so, he just broke the mould. He was so different. So if you have enemies and they're super spiritual ones, you're probably doing okay. If it's only the super spiritual. Um, Because Jesus was, you know, everybody wanted to be around Jesus. He was such an amazing example. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to enter our lives, if we allow ourselves to be anointed continually with the Holy Spirit, we can be like Jesus where we go to the cross. We don't just stand at the cross. We put ourselves on the cross and we say we'll pay the price. We will give. We will forgive. We will be all that we can be. So Christ-focused. The early church had a spirit presence. They were Christ-focused. And they were father-related. John's been talking a lot about the father heart of God lately. I think this is so important. He says, but wait for the gift my father promised. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. It's a little passage in Romans. 
A church being so father-related that we are overwhelmed by the love the Father has for us. But we need to encounter God's spirit to know his father heart. The fatherless have a father in God, that we are accepted for who we are. The early church became father-related and they became people-sent. Acts 1.8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, when the Spirit came, when the anointing of Pentecost came, and they allowed and embraced the Holy Spirit into their lives, they became people sent. And we too can be that, people sent, so that people coming into our church know that we're not here for ourselves, but we're here for others. That our main aim is to do the work of Christ for other people, that we are the body of Christ needed outside of this building we are the hands and feet and the voice of God you know one of the biggest questions that sometimes gets asked is where is God in suffering and as Christians like like we can see it a little bit more clearly I guess that you know I think God is right bang smack in the middle of people's suffering even though you can't always see that I think God you know walks where people suffer I think that's where he is God is in suffering and the Bible shows that the whole time But if you're outside of the church and you don't believe in God, it's very easy to look and say, well, where is God? Like, where's the visible presence of God? And that's us. You know, like, we are God on earth. We're his hands and his feet. To be anointed by the Holy Spirit means that we are the ones to be out there. So if people are asking, where's God in suffering, they need to see us in that suffering. They need to see the church in the suffering. They need to see Christians reaching out in people's suffering. Because that's God. We are God's people. We are his hands, his feet. He's chosen to use us and work through us to be people sent. We can't do that in our own strength. That's too difficult. We need the spirit of God to enable us to do that. Not that we hammer the Bible down people's throats or try to turn people's conversations into the blood of the lamb, but just we are just normal. We are witnesses not witnessing all the time, but we just are witnesses. We just are naturally like that because we have the Spirit of God in us, anointed to be people sent. And finally, the church, the early church became power held. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Spirit um, enabled them to become so powerful in their witness, so powerful that they wouldn't give up. You know, I I look out today and I see you guys and I don't know everything that you're going through, all the situations you're in, but I know some. And I know some of the situations that people are in in our church. And it's a witness and it's a testimony to being power held because you're going through stuff, difficult stuff, but you're not giving up. And you're still here on a Sunday and you're still worshipping God and you're not giving up. And it's that sense of knowing the power of the Spirit in your life to enable you to keep going. That God's power will hold his children. It will enable us to become everything that we can become. It will cause us to do his work and it will exalt us even in our humble state. Not that we're not half committed Christians, not tossed by the wind and the waves, but we're the ones that are commanding the wind and the waves to be still. God's spirit will give us the power. How did it all happen for the early church? They ended up being amazing. Why? Because they waited for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They allowed the Holy Spirit to dictate to them what to do 
and it made a difference. What a difference a day makes. That this empowering of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, so that they weren't stuck on this side. They weren't stuck with, you know, um, absence of the word or being cheap or all words or controlled by fear. They weren't defeated. They actually moved to that place of being anointed so that they had these other things in their life. And if we want to be people who will pay the cost, that we're shaped by God's word, that we are doers and fulfillers of the promises we make, not controlled by fear, not defeated, but triumphant, not success-driven, but only success-driven, but also people of the secret place who are not works-orientated only. To be that kind of person, we need to embrace the Spirit of God in our lives, to be anointed daily, to have a daily experience of Pentecost so that we are people who have spirit presence, that we're Christ-focused, we're father-related, people-sent and power-held. We want to be available, don't we? Available to allow God to move and to be ready and to be expectant. That we would say each day, come Holy Spirit. Each day, Holy Spirit, have your way in our life. Each day, to say, God, I am a vessel for you, use me today. I'm going to invite the worship group to come back. And um, as we just sing a final song, let us think about this significant day today, the day of Pentecost. All those years ago, as the disciples, they were in a real place of, of turmoil. You know, Jesus had been crucified. He was raised to life. They had the ascension. Jesus has gone up to heaven. And they're left now on their own, without Jesus, without their guide, without their example, What were they going to do? They had to wait. They were told to wait. And the Spirit of God came and it enabled them to go from strength to strength. God has not abandoned us. God has not left us. God the Father did not say, I'm going to stay up in heaven and I'm going to bring my son Jesus back with me and leave you to it. But he said, I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to give you my spirit, my presence on earth. Sometimes I wish the Holy Spirit had a name because then we would think of it more as a person. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. It's God here on earth. But we just need to encounter that. We just need to put ourselves in line to be available for God to come and use us so that we become everything that God wants us to become. So let's do a final song. And whilst we sing this, let's stand and let's just use it as a time to pray as well that we can be people who are filled with God's spirit. Father, I thank you for today, for this day of Pentecost, and I thank you for your word. And I thank you all those years ago that that you sent your promised presence to the disciples, and, and look where they went, and look what they did, and look what they produced. We are part of that. We are part of it. We are a result of that first day of Pentecost. And I pray today that we would experience another Pentecost. We would experience the anointing, that we would be baptised again in your spirit to enable us. We don't want to be stuck in our old ways. We want to be renewed, but God, we can't do it on our own. You know that. You know us more than anyone. You know we can't do it in our own strength. That's why you said we need to tap into you and into your spirit and rely on you and put you at the centre. Because without that, yeah, we're going to mess up, God. We're not going to get very far. And we don't want to be that. God, we don't want to be cheap. We don't want to be absent of your word. We don't want to be just all words. 
We don't want to be success-driven. We don't want to be controlled by fear. We don't want to just be works-orientated, God. God, we want to be near you. We want to have your presence. We want to be Christ-focused. We want to be people-sent. We want to be Father-related. So God, I pray that you would come today. Fill us again with your Spirit. Renew us, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.